Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. We learn a lot about our families when someone new joins them. Have you noticed that? You learn a lot about your family when somebody new joins the family. Um, they start pointing out things that are just the norm for you. One of the things that Tiffany pointed out when she showed up, um, <laughs> she, she started bagging first on our tuna fish. When my mom prepares tuna, she puts everything in it. You know, like carrots, celery, grapes. What else? Onions, pickles, just anything. Everything goes into the tuna. And and Tiffany was pretty quick to point out, what is up with this tuna? Why does everything have to go in the tuna? Another thing that she pointed out to us, which we, we had no idea... Um, that this was different than any other family on Christmas morning. But we're very quick on Christmas morning to tell somebody that we don't actually like what they gave us. (laughs) And we're pretty quick to tell them we will most likely take that back. And she just thought this was so strange. That would have never happened in her house. You thanked people for what they gave, and you pretended to like it even if you didn't. And there's no shortage of opinions in the Aikland home, and we're pretty quick to say, I I don't like this. And I just thought everybody's Christmas morning was like that, you know, that you'd open up a sweater and be like, probably going to take this back as soon as I can. (laughs) I'm exaggerating, of course. I'm evangelistically speaking. She, um, but she has pointed some things out to us, and, and it's, the, it's the same here at Radiant Church. We learn a lot from the people that are new here, and sometimes they're able to point things out to us that we just, um, that we don't notice or that we take for granted. And so at the newcomer's dinner, I feel like I learn just as much as you will about this church. I'm always really interested to hear what has drawn you here? Why do you, uh, why are you thinking about coming to Radiant Church? It's always real interesting to hear the responses because you're just used to what we do and not really aware of some of the things because it is the norm around here. So come, I'd like to hear uh, why you think God's called you to, to be here at Radiant. Um, Sometimes you can't see clearly when you're so close to the action. And so it's honestly really encouraging, really refreshing for me at these newcomers' dinners to hear about where you've come from and what's up for you. So um, one of the things that we'll probably hear this most tonight when we ask people what has drawn them to Radiant Church. And do you know, do you know what the number one response is? Number one. My teaching. That was awesome. Where are you? That's not it. The good news is, nor is it Mike's teaching, or else we'd have a problem here. 
child care. Just two hours to take a breather. Now, you know, the thing that people say over and over again about this church is that it's authentic. They like it because it's real. Um, You could put your own word in there. It's genuine. It's honest. This is the feedback that I receive. Um, And in fact, I was sitting around in a circle with Clay and uh, Matt Ainley and Steve Smith and David Jansen the other night, and, and, and Clay brought that up. He just said, it's real. I just, I just like being there because it's real. And um, by the way, we were circled up after we won the championship in men's low softball. So I brought that up just so I could get to the place where I could say, by the way, we were circled up after we won the championship in softball. We won by one run in an epic matchup. We won with heart and character, something that has characterized our efforts all season. It's really encouraging to hear that feedback from people that the church is real, that it's honest, that it's genuine, that they feel comfortable there. Um, Because we, we set out to have a community that was marked by authenticity. We've desired that from the very beginning of this church. We started this church seven years ago, and that's one of the things that we value uh, most. We want to be known as a real group of people who are honest with their weaknesses. We want to be a people who humble themselves and confess their sin. We want to be a people who come together and don't pretend like everything's okay. It's one of the things that we wanted most when we planted this church. Um, Church can be, and maybe it is for you, a little bit like seeing a cop on the road where all of a sudden I grasp for my seatbelt and I put my hands at 10 and 2, pretending like that's how I drive all the time. And then as soon as I get past that cop, I pick up my cell phone, which I threw to the floor, I let go of my seatbelt, and I start steering with my knee while I write something down. And I noticed a long time ago that at times when people come to church, it's like they put their hands at 10 and 2 and pretend that that's how they drive the rest of the week. And it's not the truth about their lives. And so we wanted a place where we were free to come and be honest about our weakness, to be honest and say that we don't necessarily drive at 10 and 2 and We haven't been going the speed limit. So it's encouraging to hear that. How many of you know, have noticed that there's a really fine line? There's a really fine line between honestly sharing about where you're at and complaining. There's a really fine line between those things. And complaining, you know, is just justifying your resignation. That's what you're doing when you complain. You just justify your resignation. This is why I'm not trying. And this is why I can't do anything about it. We can really, we can share how we're really doing and we can also settle. As we share what's really up for us, we can really quickly settle. We can be honest and resign. One of the things that I want to say to you this morning, that honesty 
you know, um, is not inherently good in itself. In and of itself, honesty is not good. We think of honesty and we think that it's automatically virtuous. That honesty is a virtue. But I can be honest for a bunch of reasons. I can be honest as a means to connect with you. I can also be honest as a means to hurt you. And my wife and I have done both of those things. So honesty isn't inherently good in and of itself, just like passion. People hear the word passion and they automatically think it's virtuous. But you can be really passionate about flying planes into skyscrapers. We have to ask ourselves the question when we say that we want to be honest, uh, honesty for what? What are we wanting to produce with our honesty? What are we wanting to create with our vulnerability? Are we wanting to connect or are we wanting to distance ourselves? Are we wanting to connect or are we wanting to hurt people? What's the point of being honest? We're in a series as a church about tension. And the tension that I want to talk about today is the tension that exists between the present and the promise. As a church, we have certain positions on things, and then we also hold things in tension. And one of those things that we live in the tension of, I guess I should say, is the present, which is where we're currently at, and the promise, which is what Christ is inviting us into. How many know that there's probably a gap between where you're at and where you're going? That there's some distance between where you're at and where you want to be. And sometimes there's a tension in that. And we want to hold to both of those things. We want to be current. We want to be honest with where we're presently at. But we also want to hold on to the promise of everything that's available to us in Christ. We want to be present and honest about our weakness, our shortcomings, our sin. And we also want to contend for the promise in Christ for freedom and joy and restoration in our lives. So we want both of those things. It's not an either or, but a both and for us. At times, I don't know about you guys, but at times I can be honest about what's presently going on in my life and lose sight of the freedom that's been promised to me in Christ. At other times, I can be proclaiming the promise of freedom in Christ while living in denial about where I'm really at. Not being honest about what's really going on in my life. If you have the present without the promise... You deny the truth of where we're going. If you have the promise without the present, you deny the truth of where you're at. We want to live in the tension between the now and the not yet as a church. We're committed to that. Let me share some examples of what I'm talking about. Does this, is this making sense, the present and the promise? This is Jared's idea to name it this. I didn't have good language, honestly. Do you understand what I'm, what I'm talking about here? 
some examples uh, for you guys is the name of our church, Radiant Church. I didn't wake up this morning feeling especially radiant. I don't often wake up feeling especially radiant. Presently, maybe you're not feeling very radiant. But there is a promise in Ephesians 5 that says that Jesus Christ will return for a radiant church without spot or blemish or wrinkle. And we want to keep that before us. We want to live into that promise. We want to live into that vision for the church. So we love keeping it in front of us, even though we don't presently feel very radiant. The promise is that Jesus is coming back for a radiant church. And we want to be a part of that. This isn't about us making ourselves radiant. This is about him, us yielding to him as he makes us holy and blameless. Another great example of this is King David, who wrote many of the Psalms. You can see this in nearly every Psalm. But David starts with distress. He starts by talking about where he's currently at. He starts in a really self-absorbed place. But he ends that, that, that Psalm in a really God-centered spot. Where he's now proclaiming the promise where he begins by talking about where he's at, and then he ends by talking about who God is. This migration can be seen in many of the Psalms. We want both of those things. We want you to talk about where you're presently at and be authentic, honest. And we also want you to contend for the promise. A great example of a prayer is in Jonah chapter 2. You can turn there if you want. But this is Jonah's prayer from inside the fish. Watch the progression of this prayer. See how it starts with distress by Jonah declaring the truth about where he's at, and then it ends with thanksgiving, declaring the truth of who God is. From inside the fish... Not outside. Jonah has not been spit out of this fish yet. From inside the fish, he prays. And he says, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you 
What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Good prayer starts in distress, but it doesn't end there. Good prayer, I think, starts in a really self-absorbed spot where you're honest before God, but it doesn't stay there. It migrates. Do you have a problem acknowledging where you're at? Can you be honest with where you're at? Or do you have a problem proclaiming in faith where you're going? Can you contend for what is not yet? We want to hold on to both of those things. I, as I was searching for language, what I came up with is that as a church, I wanted us to be authentic, but to also refuse to settle. That as a church, that we would refuse to settle. Honest with where we're at. And then refusing to stay there. We see in the lives of many heroes of the faith a refusal to settle. That faith is, as we'll see demonstrated by Abraham, a refusal to settle. He won't stop moving, he keeps going. This is where I'm at, but this is where I'm going, and I refuse to stop. I refuse to settle. I want to share about our sin. I want to share about our shortcomings. I don't want to settle in our sin and settle in our shortcomings. Well, you know, it's my personality. I'm just this way. Well, it's just always been this way. I want to share, but I don't want to settle. Can we share where we're honestly at without settling there? In many cases, in circumstances, faith is really just simply a refusal. A refusal to settle. So I want to look at the lives of two heroes of the faith this morning and ask ourselves the question, have we settled? Have we stopped? So if you would, actually open your Bible to Exodus chapter 7. We're going to take a look at Moses, but before we do, I want to talk briefly about Abraham, who is called the father of the faith. Abraham is the father of the faith. Listen to this in uh, the book of Romans. This is about Abraham, who is called the father of all who believe. Actually, sorry, this is from Isaiah. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness and thirst for the living God. Fasten your eyes on the rock from which you were cut. Give your attention to Abraham, your father. For I called him when he was alone and unknown. I blessed him and multiplied him. 
For the Lord shall restore all the wasted place and makes wells of living water spring forth in the desert. Joy and voices of thanksgiving and gladness can be heard again. Give me your attention, my people. Set your eyes on Abraham. Do you get the feeling from this passage that Abraham has something to say to us? That maybe we should pay attention to the life of Abraham. In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham to come out of his father's house. Come out of your father's house. Come forth. Come out from your father's house. You read in Genesis chapter 11 that his father, Abraham's father, Terah, and their entire clan had left Ur and Chaldea for Canaan. And Canaan represents forever, symbolizes and typifies the land of promise, destiny, and fulfillment. So in Genesis chapter 11, God calls Abraham's father, Terah, to leave and to come to Canaan, which is the promised land, the land of destiny, the land of fulfillment. And this journey from where they were at to the promise was exhausting. In fact, they stopped two-thirds of the way. During that journey, Abraham's brother, Haran, died. And what's really interesting is that Abraham's father stopped in a town with the exact same name. Abraham's father, Terah, stopped in Haran. Disappointment can cause us to settle. I think it's really interesting that he never moved beyond the city that had the same name as his son who passed away. The word Haran, unlike Canaan, means a dry place, the place of small fruit. Because of his disappointment, Abraham's father stopped in the dry place. He stopped in the place of small fruit. He was unable to move beyond his loss. Has disappointment caused you to settle? Have you just stopped? Has disappointment paralyzed you? Have you lost some, something? Have you lost someone? Have you lost a marriage? Have you lost a relationship? Have you lost a loved one? And are you still there? Has disappointment caused you to settle in that place? So Abraham gets this word from the Lord. He's in a dry place. He's in the place of small fruit. And the Lord comes and speaks to Abraham and says, Come out, come forth into the land that I've promised you. And you can see in Abraham that he just refuses to settle. He's been hurt. He's exhausted. He's disappointed. And he refuses to settle. He refuses to stop. And because of it, he inherits the promise. Faith is a refusal to settle in the place of small fruit. 
Faith rises up in us and says, I refuse to die in this spot. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm not staying here. I refuse to stay in this place of small fruit. I refuse to stay in this dry place. Faith is a refusal to settle for small fruit. Faith is a refusal to settle for small sanctification. Faith is a refusal to settle for small worship, for small hearts. Faith is a refusal to camp out. So when we share this is where we're at, we also say, and this is where we're going. I want to be honest about what's presently going on in my life. And I also don't want to deny the truth of the promise that God's calling us out from this place. Uh, now, now that you are saved, if you're saved, the enemy wants desperately for you to settle. Stop. Just stop contending for all that God has for you. Now that you're saved, he wants desperately for you to settle. I don't know if, if you've... Uh, given any thought to this this week, but you, you actually have an adversary. Scripture says that he's out to kill, steal, and destroy. You have an adversary. And I don't, I don't think we do a good enough job letting people know about him, about this, about what they should expect in their lives. When we portray the Christian life, we talk about a journey. We talk about a walk with God. We talk about a relationship with Jesus. If you were to head from here to our Christian bookstore, you could pick up a lot of greeting cards with forests, deers panting by still waters. We, we portray the Christian life like it's some sort of walk in the park. It's not. It's a fight. It is a fight. We have to contend for this stuff. If you don't know this, <laughs> I think what happens is we don't tell people that they should expect life to get harder when they come to Christ. And then when things get difficult, because they've come to Christ, they feel discouraged because you say to yourself, well, I just thought that things would get better. And the truth is, is that at times when we come to Jesus, things get more difficult. Because this is a war. This is a fight. If you are going to inherit the promise, you're going to have to contend. You're going to have to refuse. You're going to have to war. There's a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of growth happening in the church, not not just in numbers, but in people's lives. There's growth. There's change. There's joy. Jesus is bring is restoring things here. But none of these things are going to come without a fight. 
None of these things are going to come easy. You should expect to contend for the growth, for the change, for the new things that are yours in Christ. And you shouldn't be surprised when there's resistance. In fact, the resistance that you experience should communicate to you that you're on the right path. If there's war in your life, you're in the right spot. Refuse to settle. Refuse to settle. So we can settle because of disappointment. We see that in the life of Abraham. But the devil can cause us to settle as well. The devil wants us to settle through compromise. Now, in the book of Exodus, open up. A little bit of background here for those of you who have not seen the Prince of Egypt. <laughs> or any of the veggie tales. Um, the people of God have been in captivity for close to 400 years. Slaves. To Egypt. And God has finally had enough. And it says that he hears their cries. And he actually uh, chooses Moses. And he speaks to Moses through a burning bush. Is this ringing a bell for you guys? Speaks to Moses through a burning bush and says, I've heard the cries of my people and I'm coming down. So Moses says, I, I don't know about this. Who am I? The Lord sends him, lets him partner up with Aaron. So here we have two men. One is 80 and the other is 83. They have a stick and a one-line message. And they're headed to take down Egypt. <laughs> I mean, it had to almost be a joke, right? Two 80-year-old guys, one with a walking stick, coming with a one-line message that says, let my people go. I mean, it's like, What? <laughs> You've been hurting for too long, old man. So then there are some, uh, you know, God, God obviously backs Moses up. And you, you've probably heard of these, these plagues and these incredible things that happen. But I want to take a closer look at this story because some things opened up to me that I had never seen before. And the first thing that um, God tells Moses to do, if you remember, is he tells him to go to Pharaoh, and then it, it, it God tells him to throw down his staff, right? And then his staff is going to turn into a... So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of the Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians. Wait, Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their own secret arts. So then 
God goes for round two, and then he tells them to put the staff in the Nile, and the Nile will turn to... Tell Aaron, take your staff, stretch it out over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs. And they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the wooden buckets and stone jars. And I didn't notice this, but look at down in verse 22 of the same chapter, chapter 7. It says, but the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their own secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. So here we head to round three, because this is really going back and forth. Everything that Moses is doing, the magicians are able to do with their own secret arts. So round three uh, is about the frogs. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But in verse seven, the magicians did the same thing by their own secret arts. So three to three, they're going back and forth. And then it comes to the fourth plague which uh, we can read about. We'll start in verse 17 of chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon men and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. And the gnats were on men and animals and magicians. I added that. The magicians said to Pharaoh, this is what they said, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. So basically, they're going back and forth. Snake to snake, blood to blood, frogs to frogs, until it comes to this fourth plague. And God creates something out of nothing. Ex nihilo. God causes something. He creates. He causes something to come out of nothing. And all of a sudden, the magicians can't hang, and they say, this is actually the finger of God. He's now doing something that only God can do. And this is true in our lives as well, when something comes from nothing. When God creates in us a new heart. He's doing something that only God can do. So Pharaoh knows he's in trouble at this point. And Pharaoh starts to backpedal. He now knows that he can't hang with the old man. And so he becomes really shrewd about what he tries to say and do. And this is what I want you to notice is 
too long outside of my notes and I lost my spot. So the line is what? Moses' one-line sermon is what? Let my people go. And Pharaoh decides to offer four options to Moses. And I want to take a look at these because the Pharaoh tries to impose boundaries on all that God had planned for these people. Listen, he can't save them now, so he wants them to settle. And he starts to try to impose boundaries on the people of God. The enemy knows in your life that you've been saved. Now he wants you to settle. He wants you to compromise. He wants you to stop pursuing all that God has for you. I believe that the enemy still tries to impose the things that Pharaoh tries to impose on the people of God. Let's look at them if you've never seen them before. Starting in verse 25. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses. Remember, he knows that he's outmatched. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God, but do it here in the land. Okay, 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 you win. And I know what you were saying. The message was, let my people go so that you can go worship in the desert. But here's what I'm going to offer. I'd like you to settle. You can go ahead and worship, but do it in the land. But do it right here. You can go, but don't go too far. And essentially what Pharaoh is saying is that you can worship, but you'll do it with chains on. You can lift your hands, but you'll do it with chains on those hands. You can go, but you'll still be bound. It's a scary thing when we adapt and settle with the chains in our lives. It's a scary thing when we become accustomed to bondage and decide, yeah, we'll still worship, yeah, we'll still go to church, we'll still lead, we'll still preach, we'll still do sound, we'll still sing, we'll still deacon, we'll still eld, we'll still work, we'll still parent, but we'll do so with chains. You can worship, Pharaoh says, but you'll have to stay here. And again, Moses rises up in faith and refuses to settle. And the message, the promise continues, let my people go. I won't settle for bondage in my life. I won't settle for chains in my life. What I love about this is I've, I've found myself at times trying to explain my chains to people. Well, this is why I'm bitter. This is why I'm angry. 
This is why I'm hurt. This is why I'm entitled to stay in captivity. This is why I choose chains. It's reasonable. You'll understand when I tell you this story. It's a scary thing when we start to adapt our Christianity and start to operate with chains on. Have you just settled? Do you just come to church with chains? Well, this is the way it is. This is the way it'll always be. This is my personality. I'm just sick. Have you settled with that? Or are you contending for the promise? Don't settle to worship with chains on. Don't settle to lift hands to him that are bound. Don't settle with worshiping inside the land. No, no way. Not if a real God shed real blood on a real cross so that we could really live. Don't settle with change. Don't adapt your Christianity so that you can do the things that you do now just with bondage in your life or chains on you. trying to get worked up here. Hmm. So the second thing, you can find it in verse 28. Look at this, the second boundary that Pharaoh tries to impose to invite Moses to settle and to compromise. Verse 28, Pharaoh says, well, I'll let you, okay, 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 okay. I know that the message is let my people go. And so I will let you go. Just don't go too far. The enemy is still imposing this on people today. Okay, okay, we'll worship God, but don't go too far. I mean, really? It's a little bit extreme. Yeah, you can worship. It's fine. But just don't go too far. Don't get too crazy about it, okay? How many of you have actually heard this voice? Whether it's from the people around you or inside your own head or from an accusation from the enemy. You've heard this. As you intend to inherit the promise. As you're contending for all that God has for you. Okay, okay, okay. It's cool to worship. Just don't get too into it. Don't go too far. <laughs> Pharaoh says to him, like, okay, okay, you can worship. Just, just don't go too far, okay? How can we be Christians and not take this thing as far as it can go? How can we be Christians and not take this thing as far as it can go? I think we should take this thing as far as we want. And I think we should go as far as God tells us to go. And I think we should go as deep as he tells us to go. And I think you should ignore the voice that seeks to impose and put boundaries on and cause you to settle 
Listen, I read a quote once that said, if you don't go too far, you'll never know how far you can go. We're so scared of going too far. Well, you can worship, but that's a bit much. It's a little bit excessive. You can give to the church, but don't give like that. Oh, you can sing, but don't sing like that guy over there. You can raise your hands, but to hear, not to hear. Have you settled? Has your adversary imposed some boundaries on you? You can do your Christian thing. Just, just don't, go, don't get too carried away with it. I hear this from people all the time. Well, well, I'm religious, man, but not like this. This is just weird. You know, I go to church. I do my thing, but this is just too much. It's just a bit too far. If you never go too far, you'll never know how far you can go. There are three people in this church, maybe five, who I have to reel in. The majority of you, I'm constantly pushing. We're so scared of going too far. Well, you don't want to offend people. We don't want it to be too much. We settle. We buy into this boundary. We believe this lie that limits. And what I want to say to you this morning is we should take this as far as it goes. If the enemy can't get you to stay in chains, he's going to say to you, okay, just don't go, don't go too far. Really, a prayer meeting? That's, it's a bit much. Really, something for God on a day other than Sunday? It's a bit much. Really, you really think you're going to lead men on a missions trip? It's a bit much. Really, invite someone to live in your home who needs help? It's a bit extreme. Really? Give all? No one can do that. Really feed the hungry? Aren't you getting a little carried away? Really pray for the sick? It's a bit much. Really share Christ with coworkers? You're a fanatic. All subtly designed to get you to compromise. All subtly designed to get you to settle. If God asks us to go farther, we'll go farther. If he asks us to go deeper, we'll go deeper. The word, again, is let my people go. To get to number three, you'll need to skip to chapter 10. 
Listen to the third thing that the enemy tries to impose to get them to settle. Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he said. So Pharaoh says, okay, 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 okay. You got it. No chains. Go as far as you want. And then look what he imposes on them to cause them to settle or to compromise the promise that had been given. Pharaoh starts to ask, who's going with you? Okay, you can go, you can go, but who are you taking with you? And then Moses answers, we're going with our young, with old, with our sons, our daughters, with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. We're headed out to the desert to have a woodstock. Pharaoh said, listen to this. This is what Pharaoh then says. This is what he tries to impose. The Lord be with you if I let you go, along with your women and children. Clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that is what you've been asking for. So the third temptation to settle comes, and he says, yeah, it's cool if you go. Don't take anybody else with you. Your faith is about you. And if you want to worship, that's fine, but don't take anybody with you. He invites Moses to settle, who came again with the word, let my people go. Moses and Aaron didn't show up to say, can we go out to the desert and worship? They came with a promise and a message that said, let my people go. You can go as long as nobody goes with you. The boundary was this. Go ahead. Just don't take anyone with you. You can do this thing, but don't think you're taking your sons, your daughters, your neighbors, your co-workers. All these people are staying put because your faith is a personal faith and it's just about you. Listen, as we talk about freedom, we're not talking about just you. We're not talking about just you not settling. We're not talking about just you getting free. You getting free. You not settling. You inheriting the promise for your life. Has everything to do with your sons and daughters. Has everything to do with your coworkers. Has everything to do with your neighborhood. And has everything to do with this city. And so Moses says, no, let my people go. They're all going with me. I'm not staying in chains. I'm not staying close. And I'm taking as many people with me as possible. I'm taking my kids. I'm taking my coworkers. I'm taking my neighbors. I won't settle. Look at the fourth with me. Chapter 10, verse 24, Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Fine, go worship the Lord. Even your women and children can go with you. Fine. Take your women, take your kids. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. 
This is really interesting because Pharaoh calls them flocks and herds. But listen to how Moses responds. But Moses said, You must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. In his final attempt to cause them to settle, he tries to steal their worship. The very thing that they set out to do. Well, we want to go to the desert because we want to worship. And then he says, okay, you can go. Just leave those sacrifices. Leave those offerings. Have you settled because the enemy has stolen your worship? Your life of sacrificial praise? Have you settled and has he shut your mouth? Moses says, we're going, we won't worship in chains, we're going as far as we want, we're taking as many people with us as we can, and we will worship. We will worship. And there's been a lot of growth in this church, and I had this sense this week that that growth was being challenged. That the enemy was inviting people to settle. I've watched people repeatedly step out, take new ground, advance, move forward with Jesus. And they're taking heat because of it. And I feel like the enemy is really quick to offer these types of things. Hey, well, that's a bit much. I mean, just get used to this. Just worship in those chains. You You just have an addictive personality. That's what you have. I'm not even... I'm not even disagreeing with that. You may have that. And we won't settle to worship with chains. We'll contend for all that God has for you. Complete restoration. Complete fulfillment and satisfaction in him. We will contend. Faith is a refusal to settle. I won't buy in. I won't stop because of my disappointments. I won't stop because of my chains. I'll take this as far as God calls me to take it. I'll take as many people with me as possible. This is not just about me getting free. This is about my city. And, hey, you can come on up if you want, bro. And, I'm going to worship. I'm going to bring a sacrifice of praise. It won't be taken from me in this transition. Even in the dry place, even in the, even in the place of small fruit, even before I see the freedom, my worship will not be taken from me. The enemy is hard at work to cause people to settle because he knows that you're saved and what he wants you to do is settle. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was inviting us to worship without chains. To take it as far as the Lord's asked us to take it. And to take as many people with us as possible. If you feel that, like there's been some sort of temptation in your life just to settle, just to stop, to stop contending, to stop pushing, to stop refusing in faith. Would you go ahead and stand with me? You don't have to stand if that's not you.
If you've bought into lies that limit, if you've bought into lies that are used to cause you to settle and to stunt your growth, if you've settled with boundaries that the enemy has imposed on your life and not the boundaries that the Lord has imposed on your life, I'd invite you to stand. We're going to pray together. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me if that's all right. You guys okay with that? Because sometimes we have to activate our will. We have to choose this stuff. That's the sacrifice part. If this were easy, we'd all be doing it all the time, but it costs. It's difficult sometimes to worship when we're in difficult circumstances. It's difficult to praise when we're in a dry place, a place of small fruit. It's difficult some mornings when we get here to open our mouths. So sometimes it takes people around you to say, say this and say it loud. Speak the truth. That we have great and precious promises in Jesus Christ. And this is where we're presently at. We might be bound with chains. We might be scared to take this too far. But this is where we're going because the word of the Lord to you is, my people, they need to go. Let my people go. So let's declare, let's proclaim the promise together. You ready? Repeat after me. I will go as far as God calls me to go. I am not Satan, but I am also not scared. Let's try that again. I don't... <laughs> Hopefully Moses didn't bring his message like that. <laughs> now don't just say this, but really think about what you're saying right now. I will go as far as God calls me to go. I will go as far as God calls me to go. I will go chain free. I will go with as many people as possible. I will live a life of worship. I will go as far as God calls me to go. I will go chain free. I will go with as many people as possible. And I will live a life of worship. I refuse small sanctification. I refuse small change. I refuse small transformation. I refuse small faith. I refuse little generosity. And I refuse little glory. I refuse little aspirations. And I refuse little authority. I refuse little risk, I refuse little risk. And, therefore and therefore little realizations. I refuse little tears and little triumph. I refuse a small heart and small hopes. I refuse small forgiveness. I refuse small 
and small favor. I refuse little repentance and little revelation. I refuse small desires and small deliverances. I refuse small mercy and I refuse small miracles. I refuse small thirst and small testimonies. I refuse small love and I refuse to live a small life. Thank you, Jesus, for the promise. Thank you for what you've put before us. Thank you for not just life, but life abundantly. And as your people, we want to take hold of everything that you've got for us. We refuse to settle in the things that have kept us bound for maybe decades. We want to come out from that place, that dry place, that place of small fruit, that place of disappointment. We want to come out of that place of disappointment. Holy Spirit, I want to ask right now that you would meet people and comfort them. That you would provide for them what only you can provide. And Jesus, as a church, as a church engaged in war, as a church that's under attack, as a church that has an enemy, we say that we're going to worship chain free. We're going to take it too far. We're going to take people with us. And we're going to live lives of worship, not just come together on Sundays for worship. We're going to live sacrificial lives of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. I